1990. That's the year I thought, no, I'm not going to see that one. And I remember it often that we think about the years that pass and how everyone else seems to get older. You know, have you noticed that? Uh, as years go by, we were looking at cards and Christmas and family and friends we haven't seen in years. And uh, gosh, they've, they've gotten to the place where they put on weight and they're, they're going bald and their children look like adults. And you just kind of go, how in the world did that happen? So another year. Well, what does that mean, another year? Well, it means another year to serve the Lord. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that we are given life by the Lord to live for His glory. And so whether you're, whether you're 9 years old or whether you're 99 years old, you are here because of the will of God. And you have been brought into this place not because you're good people or because you were smart enough to wake up and come to church. You have been drawn to this place by the Holy Spirit because God has a message of hope for you in the year 2021. A message there he says, I have my plans for you and they are to bless you, not to curse. This is God's promise to you. And so with the great promise of Jesus Christ, we gather and we worship him and we give thanks. Our call to worship is from Psalm, 9, Psalm 8. And in that Psalm, we are to remind ourselves and that we have gathered to worship. Hear now the word of God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You have set the glory of the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. in place, what is mankind when you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us worship God. Sally Jones comes from a background where in the history of the, the Mexican faith, they celebrate Christmas into the year January for the purpose of remembering the three kings. And so one of the things I love about the fact that we are continuing to decorate our sanctuary is that we are acknowledging that the coming of the Savior involved more than just him being born into the world in a manger. It involved people who came to him because they acknowledged who he was, the shepherds, the poorest of the poor, the most uh, unacceptable of the population of that day came to him. And then the Magi who you could say were almost like scientists, true scientists who wanted to know truth and who came from far distances because of what they saw as signs of the one who would come. And so in light of that, I want to thank, uh, I want to thank you for enjoying this new year by holding on to the message of Christmas. And may you keep it all year.
This morning we're turning to Nehemiah 13, and we're actually finishing our series on Nehemiah. Um, would you do me a big favor? Would you go, <sighs> would you do that? Because if you read through Nehemiah, there are moments when you really feel like you need to take a deep breath. Uh, what the story is about is about God taking a people who he's loved and called by his name, who have resisted and rejected everything he gave to them, and he gave them what they desired, which was life without him. And they were led into slavery by a foreign power for generations. And then through Ezra and Nehemiah, a priest named Ezra and a man named Nehemiah, God used to direct the people of God to turn from their sins and once again to trust in God for their needs every day. And as they did that, they were able to accomplish great things. They finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in a record time. They were able to overcome the enemies of their faith because they looked continually to the Lord to provide. They faced opposition to living for God in a world that rejected the worship of the true God and worshiped idols of all kinds. And they, they dealt with the inner conflicts where they saw in their own life places where they were sinning against the Lord and they had to reform their way of living in order to please God. And so after all this is done, the, the temple is now rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt, the people have come back into the city, commerce and all that is involved with life is heading up again and, and people are getting rich and they're getting wealthy again because they have the ability to make a life for themselves. Farmers are growing their crops and bringing them into the city and exchanging them for goods and services and vice versa. And so there comes a time when Nehemiah has been called back to the sovereign in Babylon because his time in serving in Jerusalem that the sovereign gave is over and he has to return and check in with the sovereign to make sure that that sovereign is satisfied and understands what has transpired in the work in Jerusalem. But while he's gone, something happens that you just kind of go, what? Here now in chapter 13, as we only read the first 14 verses of a very long chapter, here now the word of God. And on that day, the book of Moses. Now, what was the book of Moses? It was the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam or Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned that curse into a blessing. And when the people heard this law, they excluded, or excluded from Israel all who were foreign descent. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offering and incense and temple articles. 
and also the tithes of grain and new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here, I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms. And then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God, and the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why, why is the house of God neglected? And then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought tithes of, of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. And I put Shel Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and the Levite named Pediah in charge of the storerooms and, and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. This is the word of God. Three times, Nehemiah, in this passage, and I invite you to read the rest of it, it deals with the Sabbath. It deals with the inner marriage of their families with pagans, unbelievers. Three times, three times, three times, Nehemiah says, remember me for this, my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Three times, three times, three times. Whenever you read something in the Bible and you hear it repetitive, it's not because they have de dexterity problems. It's for emphasis. Now, why would he ask God to remember his faithfulness? Well, let's pray about that. Our gracious Father and our God, as we turn to you this morning and we begin to think about the calling of Jesus Christ, uh, we are reminded that there are times when we become faint-hearted when we become weary, when we are overwrought by the, by the call of Christ to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and follow him. And so for that reason, our prayer is that you, O oh Lord Jesus, would remind us that Christ is our life, our hope, our joy. And if there is no joy in our hearts, in following him, then we have missed 
somehow the blessing that you intended. And for that reason, we humbly pray, open the eyes of my heart that I might know and walk with you. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, amen. This morning as we take on the new year, one of the things that we finish with as far as this series is that the story of Nehemiah is the reclaiming of God's promises. And this is a, a great message of hope for any Christian because there are times when we feel the waningness of our Christian faith where we feel the heaviness of burdens that we, we have been bearing, where we feel that maybe God is not acting in the way that we would desire him to do so, and we wonder where is God and what is he up to, and, and how are we to live in the days that we have been given. And so in light of that, when you come to this last chapter, it is kind of a letdown. It, I would say this is a pastor's chapter, or this is an elder's chapter, or this is a deacon's chapter. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it really is going to resonate with people who have ever tried to lead other people to do what's right. I don't know about you, but leading other people to do what's right when they know what right is is sometimes a very difficult thing to do. Have you ever, done, have you ever thought of that? I, I can remember numerous times when I've made promises to people in my family and said, yes, I'll do that. And then someone says, remember, you said you were going to do that. And I'd become so angry that they would remind me that I had to do it. You ever had that happen? Why do you get angry? Well, I said I'd do it. Well, why haven't you done it? Well, I haven't, I haven't wanted to. The, the time has not hit me. God has not aligned the stars in such ways that I'm able to accomplish it, right? Some of us approach our Christian faith in that same way because we know that Jesus is our Lord and he's asked us to follow him. And so when people come to us like elders or pastors or deacons and they say, why aren't you following the Lord? People get angry. Have you ever thought about that? I will never forget the first time I was reading through the session minutes of this church, which date back, by the way, to 1870. And one of the members was not coming to church. And the elders were very concerned, and rightly so, because they're charged with the oversight of the spiritual life of each member. And so as the elders talked about this man who was not coming to church, they began to say, well, we need to figure out why he's not coming to church. And so what did they do? They voted to send the pastor, which really was not a good idea because that's now how God has ordered the church. The elders are called to call down and to confront people who know what they're supposed to be doing and don't do it. Well, would you be surprised that the pastor, being humble servant of the Lord, dutifully went to visit the, past, the, the delinquent member and asked him, why aren't you coming to church? And went back to report to the elders at the next meeting. And the report went something like this. Uh, Farmer such and such has not been attending worship because he hates the pastor. He has a grief against him and doesn't like him and doesn't feel that he wants to be in the same room with him. And so the elders discussed the problem and they began to talk among each other and they voted, we're going to send the pastor back and say, don't do that anymore, which dutifully the pastor did. And when the pastor went back and confronted the delinquent member and reported back to the session at the next meeting, I'm not kidding, you can read this. It sounds like a modern day story, doesn't it? When he went back to the session and they reported on what had happened, he said, 
The, the uh, delinquent member has confessed that what he was doing was wrong. He said he would endeavor eventually to comply with the session's directives to repent and come back to the Lord and worship uh, and thank the session for their concern. Problem solved. Right? No. No, it wasn't solved at all. In fact, even if the elders had gone to deal with the person, it still wouldn't have been solved. What was the problem? The lack of holiness in the heart of all involved. When you think about what it means to live for Christ in our day, the Bible terms this in the sense of we are called to be holy. Well, what does that mean, holy? Well, interestingly enough, when you look it up in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, which is a wonderful tool to understand things you don't know in the Bible, the definition given there by E.F. Harrison is that it is fund a fundamental element in the distinctive nature of God as revealed in the Scripture. Stop there just a minute. It is a fundamental element, holiness, in the distinctive nature of God as revealed in the Scripture. And so if I'm to know what holiness is, I can't look at my own life. I can't look at you and you and you and say, okay, this is holiness. I have to go to the Scriptures and I have to look at God to know the definition of holy. But then Harrison goes on to say, and a basic response to God's grace on the part of the people of God as they become molded into his likeness. And so holiness is not where I shave my head, put on beads, a nice big tunic, start chanting and doing strange things. That's not holiness. Holiness is not coming and observing worship and doing the Apostles' Creed and doing through the pastoral prayer. That's not holiness. Well, what is it? It is coming to God and understanding who He is and how God has revealed Himself for me to know and to love and to follow. And that knowledge of God begins to change me as a believer in Christ and begins to mold me, shape me, change me into being more like Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone has ever followed Christ very long, you know immediately that you always constantly feel that there is a lot to change in my life to be like Jesus. There's a lot that has to be molded. And that's the truth for everyone, even your pastor. And so when we think of holiness, holiness as we understand it can only be measured as we look to who God is, and it cannot be measured by... It, by looking to each other and, and measuring each other. I, I'm a woodworker. I don't know if you've ever done any woodworking. Um, but as we look at holiness and we begin to think about holiness, I love woodworking because I have to measure. There's a phrase in, in, uh, in woodworking that says, you measure twice and cut. Why is that? Well, because... Many times when you measure, you can transpose the numbers. I've done that. I, I said, okay, it's 69 inches long, and then I've made it 96 inches long. Well, the only problem is it doesn't fit. And then the question comes, what does it mean for me to be holy? What measure do I have to have in order to be holy before God? And so when, when the walls were being built by Nehemiah, when all of the people were being molded into obeying the Lord, the real question was, when did they reach that point where they've done it? And the answer is never. 
Because the holiness of God is not something we accomplish for ourselves. It's something we understand because we know who God is. And because we know who He is, we are constantly thinking, okay, now does this, does this fit God's purpose for my life? Is this God's will for me? This is the daily in and out grind of the Christian faith. And so let's look then at, at what we mean when we talk about the holiness of God. Well, when we talk about God, we talk about God being separate in that He is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What are we saying? He is not like me. He is not like the imagination of what I think God is. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the new year, when they talk about the new year and the old year, the old year is the representation of what? The old Man, right? The guy who has the long beard, he looks like he's got one foot in the grave. And so the old year is the old man and he's going to pass away. And then the new year is made up of what? The image is a baby. That's right. A new year, a new baby. And so when you and I think of that new year and the old year, we think, okay, well, the old year is gone. I don't ever have to deal with it again. Is that true? No. There are things you did last year that God wants you to be very honest and open with him about. But yet in our minds, we begin to think, okay, well, you know, God's forgiven me of my sin, so I don't have to worry about that sin anymore. That's true. He has forgiven you. But he's also called you to be, rec uh, to be mindful of what those sins were so that you not repeat them again. How do you not repeat sin? Only by turning to God, who gives the power over sin, not by my own effort. And so one of the traps that comes in holiness is we believe that holiness is something we generate in our own lives. It's something we produce. It's not something we produce. It's something we become because of our relationship with God the Father. The second is his uniqueness, that God is not like the idols of the world. And for the, the people in Nehemiah's day, that would be important because people... People think of God even today in strange ways. Have you noticed that? I was in Starbucks a couple of months ago, and I was just happening to sit there and listen to people talk. And this woman came in, and she talked, talked about how the stars were aligning in such ways that she believed that over the next months that some things were really going to be good that was going to happen to her. And then she told the guy that was with her how not only the stars were aligning, but there were certain rocks that she carries in her purse that remind her and give her the power to think positive thoughts to go forward. And I thought... What? Where is this nut from, right? Well, that is the normal way of thinking for someone who has no knowledge of God. Because in our hearts we are by nature idolaters. We do not know the true God apart from the revelation God gives in Christ. And so we have a God who's the God of our imagination. Now, you talk to people today and you say, well, what is your God like? And he'll say, well, my, my God forgives us our sins. How is he able to do that? He's just such a forgiving God. Well, what about bad things? What about when people do really bad things? Does God, does God forgive them too? Oh, yes. Well, what if I go out and murder 17 people? Will God forgive me? Oh, yes. How is he able to do that? Because he must judge the sin for what it is. And so there's a, a chasm that begins to be built in people's minds and hearts about the God they imagine is 
and the God that really is. This is why the scriptures are so important, because as we read the Bible, we come to know who the one true God is. And not only that, he is distinct from all other beings. What do we mean by that? Well, in Nehemiah's day, they worshiped idols of all kinds to get what they needed. They worshiped an idol for their, for their pleasures of life. They worshiped idols for the prosperities of their life. They worshiped everything and anything that promised them or gave them any hope of having anything in their life. But their worship was not directed to a living, real God. It was directed to the imagination of who their God was or who they thought God to be. I don't know about you, but I think when you think about the holiness of God, you begin to realize that this God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is so great, so merciful, so powerful, so loving, so holy. I cannot know Him without His help. Because this God that is in Jesus Christ is free from any influence. He does not need the world. He does not need food. He does not need others. He is completely whole in and of himself. And he is true and pure and right. I had a friend in seminary I kind of thought was like that. He was handsome. All the girls were attracted to him. He, he studied and made all A's. I made all C's. He, he, he drove a nice car. I drove a beat-up one. He came from a handsome family. I, well, uh, And when I looked at him, I was seized with jealousy. Why? Because I perceived him to be more than I was and what I had hoped to be. And I hated him. Why? Because in comparing myself to him, I was looking at my flaws, what I thought were flaws. And when I was looking at him, I was worshiping not who he was. I was worshiping an image of who I should be. That is idolatry. Do you see that? God is not like our imaginations. And without the scriptures, I cannot know him. And so, as a Christian, I must continually look to the scriptures to understand who God is. And by that, understand how God is going to mold me. Now, why is this so important? Well, I'm getting to it, but please bear with me. Please notice that holiness has a twofold effect in our lives. It has twofold aspects. The first is we are holy because of a privileged position, just like the Jews in the Old Testament. Why did God choose them? He said, I chose you as a nation. I chose you. I love you. I choose to love you. Why did God do that? Was it because they were so smart or wise or pretty? No, God says, I have never chosen you for that reason. I have never chosen you due to anything more than my love. And I give my love to you freely. Now, that, that to me is astounding. Of all the people groups of the earth, God chose 
to love the Jews because through the Jews he was going to reconcile all the other nations to himself through the Messiah who would come, who is Jesus. And so now today we're seeing the fulfillment of that, that the gospel is going out to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people are receiving Christ all over the world. That the gospel is not culturally driven, it is transculture, it is above culture, it goes to every culture, and people get it. They come to know the living God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of this is possible because the holiness of God is revealed and explained and transferred to people who are hungry to know the true God. And so when you think of holiness, holiness cannot be understood apart from a person's position in God's purpose in calling them. And just like the Jews were called to be God's people, holy and set apart for Him, so are you. You have been called by God and set apart by him for his own purposes. And that is to define our life. Now, why is that so important? Well, you'll notice that the second part of holiness is not only it's something we have as God gives us as a position for, before him, just like the Israelites were given Jerusalem to be in the presence of God in a position where they had a relationship with God, they secondly had an opportunity to acquire a life of holiness by obeying the Lord and doing what He commands. And so the Israelites were summoned by God to honor Him, to honor His will by obeying His commandments and keeping His covenants. It wasn't by obeying the commandments and keeping the covenants that they were made holy. It was because God had made them holy by choosing them and loving them that they now had the opportunity to obtain that holiness as they walked with God and loved Him and obeyed Him and kept His commandments. I hope that's clear in your mind. Because one of the idols in the Christian church is that we believe that God accepts me based upon what I do. And He doesn't. He accepts you based upon what He has done for you in the cross of Christ. Excuse me for screaming. A little too excited there. When you get to that part of God's holiness, that He has accepted you not based upon what you do, but because of He has chosen to love you. He has chosen you from the people of the earth to walk in the name of Christ and to believe upon Him and to find forgiveness and adoption through the, the work of the cross. Then that kind of holiness excludes the obvious thing that happens in the church where legalism comes in because we believe holiness is something we do. And so there have been mistakes in the church where they've said, okay, for be a Christian, you've got to be holy. You can't dance, you can't chew, and you can't go out with those who do. See, you've got to be holy. Right? So holiness was measured by what you do. When in fact holiness is something that we have declared by God that is ours. And therefore because God has declared that is ours, our desire to love God and please Him creates, it molds in us a desire to be holy as God is holy. 
I remember when I first got married, I was a slob. I, I'm, I know many of you are surprised by that. Uh, I was a real slob. I, I mean, wherever, wherever the socks came off, that's, that's where they stayed. It was pretty bad. And, and I realized that in the marriage that I had, that that wasn't going to work. We weren't going to be happy if I continued living the way I was. So I had to be remolded. I had to be changed in such a way that I started doing things not just to please myself, but to please the one who I loved. Same thing is true with God. There are things in your life right now that are sin to you that are not sin to other people because they compromise your love for God, not because of what they are. There are things in your life right now that are sin to God because they are compromises. They cause you to love God less. And God said, I will not be second to anything in your life. I am the Lord your God. This is what he was teaching the Israelites in Nehemiah. And so when Nehemiah leaves for Babylon, and he is not there to hold the hands of those who are charged with things, they begin to live life kind of loosely. It's the same truth that you see in the New Testament when Paul and Peter write to those Christians in their days. Because they're no longer in the churches where they're writing. They're writing to encourage them. And Peter and Paul write them these words to think about their holiness. They say, for he, meaning God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Who does the work there? God. Right? And then if you go further in Colossians, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Where do these qualities come from? They don't come from within you. They come from the Holy Spirit who now lives in your heart. And then finally, and there are numerous other places in the New Testament where you find this teaching, that just as he who calls you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And so holiness in the New Testament teaching is not just attending church or reading a Bible. It's living out the truths that you know who God is, and you know what he desires you to do, and you love him enough to do it. Men, have you been struggling with lustful thoughts in your mind? I mean, let me put it another way. Would you want your daughter to know the kind of things that passed through your heart and your mind this past week? What do you do with that? There's this overwhelming shame and guilt that hinders us from the gift that God gives, and that is... The reason we know that these things are shameful is that we know the holiness of God. And so as we come to the Lord and we begin to say, Lord, why am I thinking these things? I know that's wrong. I begin to pray and I begin to offer to God those thoughts in my life. That's why Paul says, render every thought to God. Render it to God. Why? Because I can't be pure. I can't be holy in my, in my mind, in my heart, in my own power. I need a power greater than me, and that is Jesus Christ. 
So whenever those thoughts come in my mind, the relief for me is going to the Lord and saying, whew, look at this. Wow. I, I remember distinctly, I, I, I'm such a pure person. Aren't, don't you know that? I'm such a pure person. I was driving down the road and someone was coming down I-77 and I was doing the speed limit and they came up on my bumper and they drove me, so, they drove so close to my bumper, if I had one more coat of paint on my truck, they would have dicked it. Now, you can imagine that just made me very happy. And then when I didn't speed up, he decided he was going to pass me. So as he whipped around, he passed me and then he got in front of me and the traffic slowed down, and guess what happened? I had to slam on brakes. And at that point, I went, mm -hmm. and it could have peeled the paint off the wall, what I said. Are you, are you surprised by that? I just want to remind you, if you knew the things that I wrestle with in my life, you wouldn't want me to be a pastor, your pastor. And if I knew the things you wrestle with in your life, I wouldn't want to be your pastor either. Why? Because sin is real. And holiness is elusive. Why? Because it is something that comes from God. And in those moments, I looked to God and I said, Oh God, you have shown me what is really in my heart. This is why we're doing a study on the Ten Commandments, by the way. Because you cannot know the grace and the mercy of God until you look in the depths of your own heart to know what is in it. That's why Paul writes and Peter writes these words, be holy. What does it mean to be holy? It's not be good. Be good people. Be good. No, no, it's take your cue from God. Draw near to the heart of God. Acquire what God offers to you through Jesus Christ. Huh. I, I don't know about you, but when I look at this passage, here, here are some examples that they, they wrestled with, and I'm, I'm doing this very quickly in closing. You will notice that in their pursuit of holiness, God had given them some directives concerning the temple and the, and the walls of Jerusalem that were very important for them to maintain the holiness of God. In other words, they were to be holy as God is holy, so God gave them a temple where they could come and worship and confess their sins and say, God, here's where I'm not holy, please help me. And then they had commandments where God said, here's the standard, here's what it is to follow me and do what I command. And so the first thing was the considering of worship. And what happened was that the most amazing thing came to fruition after Nehemiah left. There was a priest named Eliashib who, who read the book of the law every day. He got out the Bible. He read it to his people. He covered it cover to cover. Moses' law. And in that law, it said that God had directed his people to not allow the Moabites or the Amorites into the sanctuary because they had rejected God and harmed God's people when they were leaving Egypt to go into the Promised Land, when they got into the areas of the Moabites and the Ammonites, the Ammonites and the Moabites said, we want to thwart them and kill them. And they hired a prophet who was going to curse them named Balaam. And you know the story, the, the donkey that was with him stopped him from doing it and showed him the futility 
of standing against God. Well, apparently these Amorites and Moabites had no problems with the futility of standing against God because they were going to stand against Him. And God's judgment was, I will not allow any man to stand in my way in bringing, a bringing forth my purpose in Jesus Christ. And so he told the Israelites, because of their sins, they are not allowed the place of honor in my presence because they do not honor me. And what happens? Nehemiah goes out of town, and Eliashib, the priest, because of some marriage, family issues, tells Tobiah, who was the problem in building the Dagum walls from the beginning, is invited to live in the temple? That, that's, like, that's like leaving your door unlocked and inviting the thief that comes into your house to sleep in your bed with you. And so when Nehemiah gets back in town and he realizes what's happened, he says, Have! Don't you love that? Have! Throws him out, purifies the room. And then he says, God, remember my faithfulness. Why does he pray that? Why? You think it was easy throwing Tobiah out of the place? You think it was easy making the decision to follow God when everyone else said, oh, what, what's going to hurt? Who's it hurting? He, it was just a storeroom. We gave him a broom closet. He's okay. See, the compromises that come in our lives. That's the kind of thing that happens where we begin to lose our holiness because we compromise not on who we are, we compromise on who God is to us. The second one is the Sabbath. This is the one that really is kind of pondering for us because we worry about the Sabbath day and yet there was a day in my lifetime when in South Carolina we had what was called blue laws and there were certain things you just couldn't buy at the store. The stores were open but it had to be an emergency item you needed. In fact, some people took the Sabbath so seriously, women would not even cook on the Sabbath. They'd cook on Saturday to have the meal ready for Sunday lunch. And so now we, we have seen through that legalism, we've seen it for what it is, a legalism that didn't honor God, but we have gone so far in the other direction, we are using Sunday or any day of the seventh day. It doesn't have to be Sunday. But we don't take God seriously anymore when he says, six days shall you labor and one day you will serve and worship and rest in me. And it's not that we're to sit around looking at our thumbs and belly button. That's not it. That's not the purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is to bless us. It's to enrich our life. It's to elongate our years. It's to bring a realization that we cannot solve the problems of the world. But God can. And we rest in Him. And unfortunately, on the Sabbath day, the Israelites were continuing what they did on Monday through Friday. They were selling goods in the, in, the, in the city. They were bringing their tables and setting it up. What they, they were only concerned with making money. And they were blinded to the one who provided for their life because of it. The third is, is the story of 
how their marriages, they had made a promise earlier when they rededicated themselves to God. We will not give our children to other foreigners, people who worship idols. We will not let them marry those people. Now, if those people convert and they believe in the one true God we believe in, yeah, we'll, we'll receive them. We'll love them. We'll include them. But we will not give our children to those who don't believe in the one true God. Unfortunately, even before the walls were completed, they had already transgressed that. Well, what was the problems with that? Well, the first problem was that they forgot the Hebrew language. They had children growing up who couldn't even read the scriptures. Did, did you know that? They could not even read the word of God. So how would they ever come know, to know what holiness is? And so because of that, they were producing a generation, listen to me, a generation of people who did not know God. Therefore, they did not know his holiness, and they were not holy. Do you know that's what happened in America? Are you aware of that? We have given over our children to professors and knowledgeable people who have all this tremendous degrees as if they're experts. I want to be very careful here. I don't want to impugn everyone. Please understand me. But when we give ourselves and our children to people who have no knowledge of God's holiness and they adopt those ways of thinking, it is a natural thing for those children to begin living life as if there is no God. That's exactly what was happening in Jerusalem. And then the third time, Nehemiah cries out, Oh God, remember how I've been faithful. Why is that? Because sometimes faithfulness involves suffering. Sometimes doing what's right means you, you can't run with the pack. You can't do what everyone else is doing. Sometimes loving God means having to choose. And my prayer for you in the year 2021, oh, my prayer for me in the year 2021, is that you will desire to be holy as God is holy. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, as we pray and as we talk with the, the Holy Spirit who leads us in our prayers, we, we want to confess to you places where we are not holy. We have gazed upon things that do not lead us into a wholesome life. We have dwelt upon thoughts that are, that are foreign to the kingdom of God. And so we're so grateful how grateful we are that we have a Savior who we can come at any moment and confess these things to and know that he forgives and cleanses and frees us. Well, thank you for the book of Nehemiah because, Lord, 
in, in our endeavor to love you in the year 2021, with marriage being no longer between a man and a woman in our nation, with a administration coming into the presidency that does not have any knowledge of God in their political dealings, and neither did the last one, nor the one before that. We are living in a time where there is no politician who can solve the problems we face. There is no party, no individual who does not suffer the pangs of evil. Our only hope is that we endeavor to be holy as God is holy through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're living in difficult days, God. When the Speaker of the House declares that the terms father and mother and son and daughter can no longer be spoken on the floor of our Congress, it is not an indictment of our Congress. It is an indictment of our entire culture that does not know the holiness of God. And our prayer is, may this country see your holiness as we hunger and thirst to be holy before you. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name.